Hello and welcome to Behind the Health Statistic. My name is Ricky Hellier and I'm a lecturer at Cardiff University School of Healthcare Sciences. In the second part of this episode, looking at clinical research and the role of nurses within research, um, my colleague Dr. Mike Johnson will be talking to Alison Johnson about Huntington's disease and her role as a nurse working within that field. So over to the conversation. Hello, Alison. Thank you for giving your time to talk about your work. I wonder if you could just start by telling us a little bit about your career in healthcare. Okay, well, hello. I have been a nurse for over 30 years. I went a couple of years after I left school and trained in the old-fashioned way in the Royal Free Hospital in London um, and became an RGN in 1990 and then worked in cancer but I really wanted to attend university and get a degree so I moved into university for four years and did a health science degree Um, and following my graduation um, moved to Cardiff and have worked in various jobs but mainly in oncology, in cancer care, in Valindra Hospital in Cardiff, mainly in clinical roles, um, very part-time with children but then more recently um, moved into clinical trials and become a research nurse for the last three years and a bit. I have moved out of cancer care into neuroscience since the middle of 2019 and I'm the Huntington's disease research nurse in the Heath Hospital. That's interesting. Could you tell us a little bit more about Huntington's disease? Well, Huntington's disease is a neurogenerative disorder. It affects the brain. The brain degenerates over time. The cause is genetic. If your parent has Huntington's disease, you have a 50% chance of developing it yourself. If you have the gene, because it is dominant, you will develop it. But depending on how bad the mutant gene is, in terms of how long the mutation is, will is linked to how severe the disease will be and how early it usually develops, which is tends to be between age 30 and 50 and the course of the disease runs over usually about 20 years um, ends in death sadly. Um, So it is a disease the symptoms of which are cognitive, psychological and physical. Early symptoms sufferers notice would be loss of memory, difficulty concentrating, difficulty executing tasks over time and then perhaps depression and apathy. Um, Sometimes it's misunderstood as dementia um, and then the physical symptoms tend to come after that and you may have heard of Huntington's career which it was known as before the gene was discovered in the early 90s. Until now there have been no treatments for it but over the last five to ten years some new drugs have been in development and that's what I am working in. Just a little bit more about Huntington's. People 
there has been some very famous high-profile cases of things like motor neuron disease. How does it compare with something like that? Well, um, motor neuron disease is a very sad disease as well, for which there is no treatment, just symptom relief. And um, it is also neurodegenerative. And I would say that it's different. Um, This is a disease, Huntington's is a disease that affects families. Just um, a minute, you just said it's a disease that affects families, but then many people would say, well, motor neuron disease affects families, cancer affects families. What do you mean by that exactly? I mean that um, you might have a family where a person has cancer or um, motor neuron disease, but unless it's a genetic cancer, um, there's only one person affected by the disease, by having the disease. Whereas in HD families, Huntington's disease families, it's inherited. So if a person has got it, one of their parents has had it. And if they have children, each child has a 50% chance of having it. In the past, when little was known about it, when people started to become clumsy and they had involuntary movement and their coordination went they looked drunk so they used to be afraid to go out a lot of people because they didn't understand it wouldn't talk about it obviously with the mood changes and the memory loss that can be a bit like dementia people thought that somebody was going a bit crazy Um, so there was shame around it now that we know that there is a gene there's a new thing of guilt because if you had the test then you wouldn't want to pass it on to your child if you knew you had it and if you didn't have the test you didn't know if you were going to pass it on so there's this kind of minefield of you don't know what the right thing to do is but there are new ways of dealing with it now with pre-embryo selection and the fact that you can have the test and find out whether you're at risk or not and make decisions that are informed. But it's definitely a disease that affects families in the sense that there are communities of people out there that are living with many people within their family that are affected by it. I've got one family who recently the father died and the mother is unaffected but both her children, her two children, are manifest with HD and they're only in their 20s and 30s. So that's a really hard situation for that family. Thank you for explaining that. Would to, So to what extent do you think helping those individuals is, is part of like, partly a bit like the nursing that you signed up for when you maybe envisage what you would be doing as a nurse because being involved in science scientific research clinical trials doesn't sound very much like nursing in some ways but sounds like you can extend care towards these individuals would you say i definitely think so i think that just like in the clinical setting um, doctors and nurses and other members of the team have different roles as the nurse in a clinical trial or in a research role we have a different part to play and with a clinical trial you have a principal investigator who is leading that study on a particular site 
like the Heath Hospital and that would be a consultant usually and then they have a team of more junior doctors that will be doing the assessments and consenting people into the study and then when it comes to actually conducting the study the nurse has their own role being able to assess that patient and it's very important that the nurse has an understanding of clinical assessment for instance and also um, to be sure that the patient is informed and happy being able to read not only their physical situation but also from a psychological um, and cognitive point of view how they're progressing how they're if they're being able to measure their whether there's an improvement or a deterioration in the final outcome um, and that is what we're producing in a way um, for the sponsor who is developing for instance a new drug yeah so there's quite a lot of pressure on really to get those results is there a sense in which you as a nurse are still a patient advocate i would definitely say that i think um in many ways the whole team is an advocate for the patient because they are the clinicians and um, they're sort of at the cold face of delivering care still it's just that it's not approved by nice yet it's experimental but in, in um, we are responsible therefore to make sure that the patient is safe and that they're informed and our priority is the patient whereas the company or the academic institution that's um, developing a new treatment is um, interested in their treatment um, and they don't even get to know the names of any of the patients so they don't see the people whereas we have to continue to see the people while still remaining objective. Yeah so there's uh, an academic institution there's a role for an academic institution and the NHS and the drug sponsor company so you, i think you were saying earlier that you actually ha are employed by the university and the nhs so you've got a dual contract in a way um could you explain a bit about how that works yeah so this area of huntington's disease is quite a rare disease compared to cancer where one in three people will suffer in their lifetime so there isn't a hunting disease ward or unit um, there's a neurology ward and neurosurgery ward and we form a very small part of it but we have a brain unit um, where lots of various neurological disorders are studied and we have a Huntington's clinic which is actually run by the university but within the NHS we have the brain unit where we are doing epilepsy research, um, multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's, dementia, and I'm doing the Huntington's disease bit, and we provide an NHS service where we meet all the people that are willing to attend and monitor their disease, and 
put them in touch with community services as their disease progresses and so that they can have support and help them to get benefits when they're unable to work etc and also invite them to take part in research so the university has its own research into Huntington's disease um, some of it is about how physical activity improves outcomes but also there are a number of drug companies that are developing different types of drugs and within the NHS, we, there is a team of people that are conducting these clinical trials and that I'm the research nurse with a couple of other nurses that are helping um, deliver those clinical trials. Thank you. So speaking about clinical trials, that scene and, and sometimes even Big Pharma, you hear about in the news, there's some controversy about people that deny that we ought to have vaccines and things like that and the development of them and doubt is cast over all of that process. What is your take on that as, as somebody that works on the inside? Well, first of all, um, I would say that if you're a student in any kind of healthcare, then you'll be being introduced to research and that we want our practice to be guided by evidence that it's going to be good practice. Um, so from that perspective, there's all kinds of research going on all the time and it's a very positive thing to know that we're giving the best care and if it's not the best care then we're looking at ways of improving. And secondly, clinical trials, there are what's called randomised controlled trials now. They have to be ethically approved by a local ethics board. They have been developed over the years. In the last century, from around the Second World War and even before that, there were experiments going on on human subjects and they were prisoners or they were black people and they were unethical. And these people were harmed because they were seen as unimportant. These days, we have a lot of regulation to prevent that kind of thing happening patient safety is paramount and uh, all subjects are informed and they are voluntary and they can withdraw at any time and we have a code of practice just like nurses and doctors called good clinical practice which we have to train in um, not only to start with but every two years we have to refresh ourselves in good clinical practice and all our practice is undergirded by this, these governing principles and everybody that works in a clinical trial has to do good clinical practice. So yes, thinking about Covid right now, we've had a basically a worldwide emergency and the hope with any virus like the flu is that we'll be able to prevent people from catching it um, so we needed a vaccine. And because it was an urgent problem, being able to get research done very quickly, any hurdles and obstacles that might prevent research taking place normally have been removed in order to speed up the process. And you can prove in a lab that a piece of virus can be treated by another piece of protein, which is what the vaccine is, and then you can test it for its safety in a human and then you can prove that they've developed 
immunity and that doesn't have to take years and years like a cancer treatment especially when you sped up the process of regulation and ethics and approval to enable the trial to take place so as far as people's fears about it being developed so quickly that's the reason why really is because necessity is the mother of invention I suppose. Yeah and some people well you can't please all the people all the time can you and some people might think our oh, groundbreaking research is great you know we've got to get it out there as quickly as possible but then other people would say oh it's too quick so in the same way some people would might say that research could be exciting but also they might other people might say oh it sounds rather sterile and rigid that you are following protocols and procedures and it doesn't sound like there's much room for creativity but actually earlier on before we started recording you seemed really excited about your day could you say a little bit about what was going on to cause you that excitement um yeah so um as i said development in huntington's disease treatments really we're not talking about cure at this stage we're talking about slowing the disease down and extending life of a better quality and so far we've managed to get a drug that is given intrathecally so um, through um, doing a lumbar puncture and then administering the drug but just recently i've been involved in some meetings where they have been opening in America and now want to open in Europe a new study with a tablet, which is obviously a much easier way to receive a drug. I have been one via the lumbar puncture for the last 18 months and I have to say that it is quite humbling to see how willing people are when they have hope to have a lumbar puncture every eight weeks for two years. To be able to have a tablet and to be with scientists and doctors who are so hopeful and positive and excited to think that we might be able to look towards opening that study in Cardiff um, and giving some people a chance of trying it in the next month to six weeks is quite exciting to me. Yeah, and I think that when you think about being a carer, as in a nurse that cares, that is ticking all the boxes really. Just being able to give people hope where, you know, in many senses they have this um, death sentence um, hanging over them. Yeah, we were saying earlier that uh, before we started about the, the role of the nurse is very often to help people have what some people call a good death for example, um, but what you've just described seems a lot more positive than that, in a way, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that I worked in palliative care and there's no doubt that there's a huge place for palliative care when, when you reach that point where the disease is palliative, but often we're talking about people in their 30s developing this disease, when they might have small children, be reasonably early in their career, haven't been married for very long, um, and to be able to give them another few years, just that opportunity, just that chance. And they also feel and are willing to do this research themselves because they think that they're helping, they 
believe that they're not just helping themselves but they're helping their children and um, other members of their family so it's a very rewarding and positive thing to be part of. So who can become a research nurse and become part of that sort of positive contribution? Is it is it just for experienced nurses, for want of a better word? You've obviously given a large part of your life to the to, to, to oncology nursing and who who can become a research nurse? I think anybody who's interested. I I looked at it for a while in at some time back and talked to colleagues and friends and a lot of them said oh it's just a lot of paperwork measurements there is no doubt that there is a lot of paperwork because you have to evidence what you found you have to be safe you have to be jump through legal hoops but that's the other side of it is that if you're working in the same study for a couple of years and you have a small group of patients then you develop quite close relationships with people and with their families which in other clinical settings you couldn't have because patients pass through and they're gone in a day or they're gone in a week and so it's not just about dry desk work there is desk work but there's also very rewarding clinical relationships thank you yeah so we're talking here from the School of Healthcare Sciences where we have a range of healthcare professionals uh, we're involved in educating training and many people will have heard of research nurses possibly come across them from a broader perspective do you think there's a role for other health professionals in clinical trials absolutely obviously doctors I know physios social workers psychologists all involved in research yeah I'm sure I think that we're being encouraged more and more to look at improvement in our own sphere of practice so we can either work as part of somebody else's project or we can develop our own projects and um, set up our own um, research so yeah anybody in healthcare can do research I think that's very encouraging. Final question then, if I may. Um, what advice would you give to a new healthcare practitioner from your perspective as a research nurse? I think that you don't have to be old. I've met all different age groups of a research nurse. There's different phases of study. If you have a phase one study where it's the first time that a drug's been tested in a human. That is a very exciting and challenging area. And then there's the various phases. I'm working in phase two and three mainly, where we're testing how well the drug works rather than is it safe to give it to a human. I would say that if you are interested in research in general and you start practicing, having qualified um, just be aware that if you think oh I wish I could change that well maybe you can um, one of the things that I learned after I've had a career break was that we want to improve our service we don't have to just stay with the status quo and I managed to go on a course where 
I could just do a little project to make a little change but it felt really good when I got the results back and that the patients were having a better experience. Um, and I think that that is, you don't have to think necessarily about becoming a research nurse, but it's worth thinking about doing your own research or being part of research and feeling that you're making a difference, not just to the current patient, but to future patients. Thanks, Alison. That's really inspiring. And I think, you know, hopefully uh, people listening to this will will also catch the bug, as it were, and want to make a difference too in these, in these ways and in these so challenging times. Thanks very much for your time. Really appreciate it. You're Bye-bye. welcome. Thank you. Bye. So a massive thank you to Mike and Alison for that interview. I think it was a really insightful conversation, really valuable. If you'd like more information on HD, please look at the NHS website, as well as the website of the Huntington's Disease Association. Um, thanks ever so much.